In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The angels, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Multitudes of angels singing in the dead of night. Shepherds thinking they were probably hallucinating and going doolally. A drafty stable, an exhausted mother, a protective husband, the bleeding of sheep and the smell of oxen. Frantic men of low estate given VIP status and access to the birth of the King of Kings. An unassuming town which did not appreciate that which had taken place in her midst. The truth is, sometimes we can become so accustomed to the Christmas story that we lose our sense of awe and wonder at that which is taking place. 
Sometimes, if you're anything like me, we make it a nice, neat little story that children dress up once a year to tell us all about with a variety of different songs and <coughs> leaders telling them their lines because they've perhaps forgotten them. Or leaders having to step in last minute because somebody's not showed up. Maybe if you're anything like me, you can have a tendency to allow it to become this neat little story that's told once a year. And then you go on your merry way until it's an eternity Sunday next year. But perhaps, just perhaps, this Christmas could be a little bit different. Perhaps, just perhaps, we could pause for a second this morning to hear once again that which the angels said to the shepherds that night on the hills surrounding Bethlehem. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever read, heard, or, or watched something and it's immediately struck a chord with you, like, to the point where you've not been able to stop thinking about it, and it almost begins to consume your thought life. And maybe you're sitting eating your dinner and all of a sudden it could be a song that just comes to your head like, can you believe she said that? Who does she think she is? These things that perhaps catch us by surprise, these things that strike a chord with us, sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a not so good way. Something that's impacted you and you know it's something that you, you have to go away and write about or something that you have to bookmark or save. One such instance for me is a quote by a theologian called J.I. Packer. It'll appear on the screen behind me here with yes. Speaking of the angels, he said, what is this good news? It was the news about Jesus of Nazareth. It was the news of the Incarnation, the Atonement, and the Kingdom, of the Cradle, the Cross, and the Crown. That'll preach, right? Hopefully it will. And this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking that good news of a Cradle, a Cross, and a Crown, using the passage with Pastor Ryan read to us earlier in the service from Isaiah 11, 1 to 5, and also Luke's account that I read from Luke 2 as our backdrop and as the core text this morning. When I say the word nostalgia, what comes to your mind? Has anybody ever heard of the word nostalgia, first of all? Right, we all know what nostalgia is, and it will conjure up different things and different thoughts in each one of our minds. But nostalgia can be a somewhat dangerous phenomenon. On the one hand, it's always wonderful to look back with fondness at that which has been and gone, of course. Yet, on the other hand, the danger is that we try to relive it 
and therefore miss out on all that is happening right now. And even better, all that is yet to come. People talk about the glory days or the good old days as though they were without trouble and were completely perfect in each and every way, that they were without fault and without blemish. But in reality, those glory days, as they were lived through, the reality could not be further from the truth. In the, co the comedy The Office, in one of the final episodes, one of the characters, Andy Bernard, famously states, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I wish there was a, good, a way to know that you were in the good old days before you've actually left them. But when Isaiah pens the words of chapter 11, the people of Israel find themselves in a place of longing for the good old days. Longing for that which has been and gone. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. You see, in, in the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 10, the prophet had already painted a picture of the Lord chopping down the crown as though they were trees. But here is painted a picture of a humble saviour who had come, rising from the stump, like a branch shooting up against all odds from something which was perceived to have been and long gone. Using the name of Jesse here, I know Pastor Ryan's translation said from the house of David, I prefer this because it not only is more true to the text, but it also proves the point that we're about to look at as well. But using the name of Jesse as opposed to his much more famous son, King David, the greatest king that Israel had ever seen, the symbol, the pinup poster of the glory days of Israel's existence, using the name of Jesse as opposed to the name of David was very, very intentional. See, when a stump had become almost unsightly, have you ever looked at a flower or ever looked at a bush and you've thought to yourself, that has no hope, right? Outside our family home in Larne, which used to be my grandmother's home, there was beautiful hydrangeas. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and anybody who knows a little bit about gardening, which I don't and have to look up, is that hydrangeas, whenever they're cut back, they can take two summers to come back in to full bloom. And they were, if you don't know what hydrangeas are, they're these beautiful pinky flower bushes and just really, really lovely. And I remember, remember looking one summer at this decapitated stump, at this thing that had been trimmed back so far, and I remember making the mistake of saying to my dad at the age of 13, you've cut that too much. And he says, I'll show you I've cut it too much. Right? The beautiful hydrangeas had seemed as though they had been ruined forever, yet summer 
came around the next year and these beautiful, beautiful bushes had happened. The stump of Jesse, of David's kingdom, had become unsightly in the eyes of the people. For 600 years, the kingdom had, and the kingdom's line had lay dormant. It wasn't just a two-summer cycle. For 600 years, nothing. Despite the glory and the valor of the good old days, the royal authority of the house of David had been and gone. It's as though the mighty tree had been felled as the proud were chopped down. Those original hearers and readers, they would have found themselves longing for better days. They would have found themselves in this place of nostalgia as if to say, if only we could go back. Indeed, scattered throughout the whole Old Testament the scriptures, as the people of Israel are freed from slavery in Egypt, it's not too long before they find themselves wandering in the wilderness and complaining to Moses, you brought us out here to die. At least in Egypt, we have food to eat and clothes on our backs. They longed for something. They longed for better days, for a hope to cling on to, for some sign of life beyond the immediate. Could it be that they could experience restoration in the most unlikely of circumstances? Could God really call forth life from a dead stump? Something that seems so dead and was so far gone, and something that was so unsightly. Could the good news of which the angels spoke that night be that of which Isaiah had prophesied all those years before? A shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. A branch from its roots which would bear fruit. The coming Messiah, the hope of the nations, born into a humble existence, not of wealth and royalty, but of poverty and of lowliness, exchanging the glories of heaven when he sat on his throne and was worshipped day and night as the angels fell down and bowed down and cried, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Exchanging the glories of heaven for a cradle in the dirt. Born into a humble existence in the most unlikely of circumstances in the most unlikely of times. Hope for the helpless Rest for the weary, love for the broken heart. His birth, his cradle, bringing dead things to life. Serving as a reminder that with God, no one or no thing 
is too far gone. That we are seen. That we are heard. That God is with us. Emmanuel. Great joy for all the people. Yeah, this stuff, this stuff would not barely be alive. It would be full of life, thriving beyond anyone's wildest imaginations of this stuff. The prophet Isaiah wrote that the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Full of life and full of the spirit of the Lord. On this baby would be the very spirit of God himself. Of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of fear of the Lord. This baby, as we so often say, born into this cradle, into this, into this existence, would not stay a baby. God with us. God in human form would grow into a man. We'd be tempted and tried at every turn, just as you and I are, yet would be without sin. 100% God, yet 100% man. The equation that used to, as I've told you before, drive my mad teacher, Barney. 100% God, yet 100% man. Dwelling among us. The wonder of his incarnation. And upon him would be the spirit of the Lord. He would be God incarnate. God in human form. Jesus was and is the spirit of the Lord. And as he went around his earthly ministry, it was very apparent and very clear that he knew that that was the case. In fact, as he stood in that synagogue in Nazareth and declared these words that the Spirit of the Son of the Lord is upon me, he knew it to be true. They would also be with him a spirit of wisdom. Jesus would be perfectly wise in every way, and not just having wisdom, but being wisdom himself. The spirit of understanding, but he would understand all things. And he would understand us, and does understand us perfectly. Qualifying him to be our high priest forever. One who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I know that each one of us in here today is going through something. It may be something good, it may be something not so good, and it may just be something that's in the grand scheme of things, is something in the end between. But we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
as the spirit of understanding is upon him. He understands everything that you are going through. And his strength is made perfect in each one of our weaknesses. He is the spirit of counsel. His wisdom and his understanding qualify him to be our wonderful counsellor. Wonderful counsellor. As I said in the devotions this week, that passage in Isaiah is a preacher's dream at Advent. One of the names ascribed to him unto this child who would be born is that he is our wonderful counsellor. That he is one to whom we can turn to for all things and at all times. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is one who knows us better than we know ourselves and is able to, by his spirit, guide us into all truth. Upon him would be the spirit of light, the power to do as he so wishes. The power to do as he desires, that nothing is too hard nor too difficult for him. Yet, he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He uses his power and his authority to lift the poor and the lowly and to humble the proud. And again, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Upon him would also be the spirit of knowledge. See, he who knows all things, he who knows everything about you, everything about me, every strand of hair that is on our heads, which obviously for some is more than others, and that's okay, but he who knows everything about us, all those intricate little details. He knows the things that make us tick and the things which keep us awake at night. And he who cares about them intimately, who cares about us intimately, who knows everything about us yet loves us anyway. He who knows our hearts and knows all that we have been through, are going through, and will go through. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways, but he goes before us. He makes a way where there seems to be a way, and upon him is the spirit of knowledge. But also upon him is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Fear in our 21st century context is an ugly word, isn't it? We don't necessarily associate fear with love. But here it's this reverence, this fear of the Lord speaks of the reverence to who the Father is, to the power that the Father holds, to the love that the Father extends. And upon Jesus, this baby in a manger would rest upon him the spirit of the Lord. And as he went through his ministry here on earth, he would keep himself at all times in the will of the Father and in submission to him. And it was ultimately this fear of the Lord which would take him to the cross. 
where he would become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Doesn't seem very Christmassy to mention the Garden of Gethsemane, but there we are. In the garden, on the night he was betrayed, he prayed to the Father and he called out, If it is at all possible, take this cup from me. Yet not mine, but, but yours. You see, he, this Jesus, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather taking on the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man who humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this baby born in a cradle of wood would take upon himself a cross of wood and would lay down his life that we might have relationship with Almighty God himself. And as the angels say, this is good news that will cause great joy for all Yet we know he did not stay dead. He did not stay dead, but he rose again victorious over sin and death, rising with the keys of Hades in his hands. You see, the Savior of the world, born that night in Bethlehem, would lay down his life for the sins of the world. And just as he surely came, that night, so too he will surely come again. This time not as a lowly baby in a cradle, but as a king adorned with God, ruling in truth and in grace. Isaiah writes, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now there's a difference between what theologians call exegesis, which is finding out what the text actually is saying, and eisegesis, which is making the text say what we want to say. If I were making this text say what I want to say, I would say that Jesus is an orange man because he has a sash. Right? But he doesn't. He, and he's not. He wears, the sa he wears the sash of faithfulness around his waist and righteousness as a belt. Everything that Jesus does is touched with righteousness, faithfulness, and justice. That's the kind of king that he came to be. That's the kind of king that he is right now. As he sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes, prays for you and for me. And for those whom we know and those whom we love who are outside of the kingdom, yet we pray one day will enter. But it also speaks to the kind of king that he will be when he comes again and reigns the world 
because there is coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth when the old order of things will have passed away and he will come and reign with his people forever. We will be his people and he will be our God. His dwelling place will be among us. And as we look back and as we focus at Christmas time on the cradle, let us not forget the cross. Let us not forget the crown. For the cradle is only a part of the story. A cradle is only a part of the story. And as the angels stood or floated or whatever they did on the hills of Bethlehem that night and they declared good news of great joy for all the people, it wasn't just about the baby who came. It was about the man who would die and the king who would come. This is our This is our I've been so challenged this week, as you can probably tell. But I've been so challenged this week that we do not make Christmas a tight, neat, little nativity. This is a huge event. This changed the course of history forever. Of course, but it's only part of the story. God came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. But he also went to the cross of Calvary, laid down his life, took upon himself the sins of the world, defeated sin and death, rose again victorious, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he is praying for us, where he is praying for those whom you love, who do not know him. There is coming a day where the Father will turn to the Son at his right hand and he will say it's time. Go and get Be their God. Allow them to be your people. Dwell with them forever. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the good news of great joy for all the people. Because a Savior was born, the Messiah, the Lord in Bethlehem. And he will return as king, and king of kings, and lord of lords. Let's pray together as the band come and as we close our time together in song. Lord, we bless your name this morning for who you are. We bless your name for that first Christmas, when you took off flesh and dwelt among us. But Lord, we thank you that the story does not finish there. But just as there was a cradle, there was a cross. And just as there was a cross, there will be a crown. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back for his own. Lord, we pray that we would be a people found waiting. That we would be a people found anticipating and full of expectation of your coming again. That that would drive us to tell others of their need for you. And that, Lord, if we are fighting off inside our own minds and hearts the realisation that we need you, Lord, you said to us that today is the day of salvation. Today is an opportunity. For you did not stay in your But love himself became love for us. Laid down his life to make a way 
that we may have life and life in all of its glorious forms. Not just in the age to come, but also in the here and now. So fill us, Lord, with expectation, with excitement, with anticipation of your coming again this Christmas. And may that good news of great joy for all the people fill our hearts once again. And may justice and righteousness, just as they are the markers of your kingdom, and your kingship, be markers in our own lives. May we be a people of justice, righteousness, and of faithfulness, empowered by you. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're able to stand together as we close our time singing another great power It came upon a midnight call. I'm going to read that last verse. I just want to read it. It says, For lo, the days are hastening on, my prophet seen of old, when with the ever circling years shall come the time foretold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors flame, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. There is coming a day when we will join the heavenly choir in singing the songs, not of glad tidings of great joy, but of holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is our inheritance. This is the whole Christmas. Let us go and let us be blessed. In Jesus' name. Amen.